morning. My name is Daniel Norris. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at New Beginnings. And I'm excited to be here today with you on this hot, steamy, humid August morning. How many of you are ready for some cooler fall weather? Amen to that, right? Hey, I am so grateful for our pastor, Pastor Todd, and his leadership and more importantly, his friendship in my life. He is a huge mentor to me, and I am so grateful for the way that he leads us here at New Beginnings. Would you guys just put your hands together for Pastor Todd and for his family and his faithfulness and the way that he leads us on a regular basis? So I was uh, remembering a few things this week, and I was thinking back to the first few years of marriage. My wife, Lauren, and I are about to be married now for 17 years, I'm making sure I'm getting that right, 17 years coming up here in about a month or so. And I was remembering back to that first year or two of marriage. Uh, by the way, how many of you would, would, would agree with me that those first couple years of marriage are the roughest years, amen? That I don't, some of y'all are lying. But those first few years are a little bit different because you're learning to, to live under the same roof with another imperfect human. And she is perfect, but she had to put up with this imperfect human. And so I was remembering some of the things that she used to do, and I was kind of laughing. But my wife, those first few years of marriage, I would call her the post-it note queen. She, how many of you have a post-it note that you receive when you walk in the door? Go ahead and hold it up high and proud. Let me see it, that bright yellow, or maybe you ended up with a pink one. I'm sorry about that. I tried to get all yellow. But post-it note, she is the post-it note queen. A lot of times she would write me a sweet little love note on there that would say, hey, don't forget, I love you. And then most of the time, if I'm being honest, it was usually a reminder to help me out because I needed all the help I could get. It would be like, hey, honey, would you do this? Or hey, honey, don't forget to do this when you get up. And so she would post these bad boys all over the house to help me remember. Did you guys know that the Bible talks a lot about remembering? In fact, you see all through the scripture where the Bible tells us to remember, it says that over 200 and 40 times it says the word remember or don't forget. Now call me crazy if you will, but I think if the Bible says something 240 times, we should probably lean in and pay attention, don't you agree? 240 times throughout the scriptures it says remember. So here's what I want you to do. Look at your neighbor right now and say remember. Now look at the other one, the better looking neighbor on your other side and tell them, hey don't forget to remember. I'm not too convinced you're gonna remember. So here's what I want you to do. Take that post-it note out right now, take it out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write that phrase on this post-it note. I want you to write, don't forget to remember. Say it out loud while you write it. Don't forget to remember. I want you to write that on that post-it note. And then I want you to open up your Bible and stick it on the inside cover of your Bible. That's the title of today's message, Don't Forget to Remember. We're gonna be in Deuteronomy 6. We're going old school this morning in the Old Testament. So make your way all the way to the very beginning of the Bible. It's the fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. While you're making your way there, I wanna give you a little bit of context as to what's happening in Deuteronomy. For those of you who may not be familiar with this story, Deuteronomy is written by Moses. Moses has 
been used by God to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. We see that all through the book of Exodus. God miraculously delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And then Moses has walked with these people for 40 years in the wilderness. That's 40 years of seeing God feed them and clothe them and water them and guide them and teach them. And now as they prepare to enter the promised land, Moses wants to make sure that they remember who God is and what God has done. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, if you're there, let me hear you say the Bible is true. This is what the Word of God says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these commands that I and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word. Apart from your Holy Spirit, God, we cannot understand it. We cannot obey it. And so we're asking right now in this moment as we look at your word, Holy Spirit, that you would give us the eyes to see the things we need to see, that you would give us the ears to hear it, and that you would give us the courage and the obedience to follow you and do what you're asking us to do. God, would you transform hearts today? Would you move in this place? We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Those first few verses, verses four through nine, are known as the Shema. Everybody say Shema. The Shema. The Shema is the most important prayer in Judaism. It is something that the the Jewish nation would say and repeat every single morning and every single night. In fact, the word Shema means to hear. That's why right out of the gate, Moses says, hear, O Israel. He's saying, listen up, pay attention, don't forget. I need you to remember the words that I'm about to share with you. And so he goes on, it's like he's saying this to them. He's saying, I know you guys Like, I know you like the back of my hand. Y'all ever heard that statement? Anybody ever tell you that? Your mom or your dad or your grandma, they're like, boy, I know you like the back of my hand. Moses is looking at the nation of Israel and he's like, I know you guys. I've been walking with you for 40 years in the wilderness and I know that you are plagued by forgetfulness. I know you. I know how quick you are to forget and I don't want you to forget to remember I believe if Moses were here today, he would say this. He would say, I want you to put a yellow post-it note everywhere you have to in order to remember. I want you to put it on your wrists. I want you to put it on your foreheads. I want you to put it on your doors and on your gates. 
If he were here talking to us in 2023, he'd say, pull out your phones. I want you to put a calendar reminder in that phone that goes off multiple times a day and remind you not to forget. He would say, tell Siri and Alexa to set an alarm, set a reminder multiple times a day so that you don't forget to remember who the Lord is and what he's done. There's something powerful about remembering. The Hebrew word that Moses uses here over and over and over again in the Old Testament is the word zakar. Everybody say zakar. Zakar is an interesting word. Zakar is looking back and remembering as a way of moving forward. This was very common in the Jewish culture. They would zakar, they would look back, they would remember the past in order to move forward in the future. You see, zakar isn't living or dwelling, being held back in our past, being held captive by our past. It's not that at all. It is remembering in order to understand the present and to move forward by faith in the future. You could say it like this. The quote will be on the screen. It says, the more we remember, the more we understand. And the more we understand, the more we can shape our future. This is zakar. This is remembering with forward movement, forward progress. That's why Moses goes on to say, don't forget to remember where you came from. That's the first point if you're taking notes. Don't forget to remember where you came from. Look at verses 10 and 12 in chapter six. Moses says, and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to you, to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Did you notice how many times Moses said that you did not if you have a pen or a highlighter and you're reading through those verses, I would encourage you, circle those or highlight it. He says it four different times. He says, hey, I want you to know something. You did not build these homes. You did not dig these wells. You did not plant these gardens and these trees. You didn't do any of this. It's Moses saying to, saying to the nation of Israel, hey, listen, before you enter into the promised land and before you get all big headed and full of yourself and think that you're really somebody, that you really did this, don't forget, you didn't do any of this. You didn't build this home. You didn't build this city. You didn't dig these wells. You didn't plant these trees. You didn't do any of this. This is the gracious goodness of God. The Bible tells us that all good gifts come from where? From above. This is Moses letting the people know you didn't do anything. He warns the people of God about the possibility of forgetting God's grace. Look what he says there in that verse. He says, when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. 
This is Mo- Moses is saying, listen, I need you to pay careful attention when you're enjoying all of the blessings that the Lord has given you, when you're all fat and happy, I need you to remember, don't forget where you were when the Lord found you and when he rescued you from the house of slavery in Egypt. See, Moses knows something. He knows how dangerous forgetfulness can be. He knows that it's a slippery slope and it will end up, creep. it'll creep up on us in a heartbeat just like that. Moses knows that we are prideful people and how easy it is for us to take credit for our success when things are going well for us. You see, when others notice our success, oh, we like the recognition, don't we? We love the recognition when people notice our success. And so what do we do? We take credit for this success instead of giving credit where credit is due. And Moses says, I want you to remember something. You did not do any of this. You could not deliver yourself. You could not save yourself. Every good thing you have comes from the gracious hand of God. He has given you this out of the overflow of his character and his nature, out of who he is. This is what God has done. See, Moses knows that if we forget, forgetfulness can lead to pride and pride can destroy us. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs says, verse 16 to 18, or chapter 16, verse 18, the writer of Proverbs says this, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Look what Moses says just two chapters over in Deuteronomy chapter eight. It's, it's, it's almost the exact same words, except there's a phrase in there I want you to pay attention to. Chapter eight, verse 14, he says this, be careful that your heart doesn't become proud. Underline that part. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the, house, out of the place of slavery. So how can we forget this? How can we fight this forgetfulness and this thing called pride? In verse 12, Moses says that it would be good for us to do what? He says it would be good for us to remember who we were before God redeemed us. In other words, Moses is saying, listen, we've got to look back and remember. You see, remembering our life before Christ fights off pride and it keeps us in a posture of humility, realizing that we are totally and desperately dependent upon him. We see this in the New Testament where we've been for several months in the book of Ephesians. The apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter two, we see it in verses 11 and 12. He says, remember Remember, in other words, don't forget where you were before the grace of God rescued you. You were alienated, you were separated, you were far from Christ. You could do absolutely nothing to redeem and save yourself. And then he goes on in verse 13 and he says this, but now, everybody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it's good and it's healthy to look back and remember. As you look back, remember where you were 
And as you remember, listen, remember the radical change that took place when you were redeemed. Let me ask you something, church. Do you remember where you were without God? I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes right now in this moment. Just to remove all the distractions. And I want you to think back. I, I want you to remember. I know some of you that may be difficult because God maybe saved you at an early age. And right now, as you remember that, you should thank God. That is a gracious gift of God. That he rescued you and he saved you when you were young. And he prevented you from a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and a lot of suffering. Most of us, that's probably not our story. Do you remember what your life was like? before Christ stepped in and rescued you. I've done a lot of remembering this week. And the Lord has been very kind and gracious to me in helping me remember my story and where I was when he found me and he, and he rescued me. I'm just gonna warn you, I was a big cry baby at eight o'clock, but I have been overwhelmed remembering, as we should be, I mean, overwhelmed by the graciousness of God when he rescued me. I can remember the first moment in my life when I experienced the pain and consequences of sin. It was right before I started kindergarten. My parents divorced and separated and I remember for the first time in my life, I felt like this isn't fair. I felt brokenness, I felt pain. I felt unseen. And so I spent the rest of my childhood trying to figure out how to make sense of this new reality that I lived in. Bouncing from house to house every other weekend. Not having a mom and dad in the same home. And I know that there's in a room this size that that's Sadly, a pretty common story these days that many of us have experienced the pain and brokenness of, of divorce. That was my first moment when I realized this is a broken world. This isn't the way things should be. It was right around the eighth grade, when I was in eighth grade in junior high, I started at a brand new school met some brand new friends and immediately it was like that first week of school in the eighth grade. You know, eighth grade is tough, isn't it? When you're already, it's just awkward and you're trying to figure out who you are and where you belong. But I, I started a brand new school in the middle of the eighth grade and I immediately became best friends with a guy named Brad Stout. Um, Jerry and Patty Stout were his mom and dad. Um, I pretty much just moved into their house. Let's put it that way. Um, I was in the eighth grade. I was 
desperately looking, searching, wanting to belong. And Jerry and Patty opened up their home to me. They brought me in. They would let me stay almost every single weekend at their house, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And here's what I knew about Jerry and Patty Stout. If I stayed at their house on a Saturday night, you better believe I was getting my butt up on a Sunday morning and going to church. See, Jerry and Patty Stout were the first, was the first real family that I got to see. I got to see a, 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 what a godly family looked like, what it looked like to sit down and have a family dinner together. I got to see what it looked like to all get in the car and go to church. I got to see what it looked like to go on family vacations together and just enjoy each other's company. Jerry and Patty impacted my life forever. And they know this. I've had the opportunity to go back and share with them. I would not be the man I am without Jerry and Patty Stout. So parents, sidebar, side note. If you have children and there are kids in your children's life that are always wanting to just hang out at your house and wanting to be there all the time, there's probably a reason. If they wanna stay the night at your house, let them stay the night. Have them stay the night on a Saturday night so that you can bring them to church. You see, when I would go to church with Jerry and Patty Stout in junior high and eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, all the way through high school, the seeds of the gospel started being planted in my heart all the way back then. Jerry and Patty Stout made a huge impact in my life. All through junior high and high, on into high school, I was still searching, still looking, still trying to figure out where I belonged, looking for acceptance. And I found out pretty quickly that I was pretty good at sports. I was good at football. I was fast. I could run track. And that became my identity. That became who I was. And as long as I was performing and as long as I was accomplishing those things, I felt great. I felt loved. I felt accepted. But if I wasn't, I felt pretty terrible. It was also around that time that I started running and pursuing and striving and chasing after other things. Alcohol, drugs, girls. I made a lot of poor choices in those years. And I thank God when I look back and I remember, I thank God for incredible high school coaches. How many coaches do we have in the room? Uh, wait, hold your hand up high, right? Let's just give coaches, teachers, administrators, principals, bring your hands up high. Coach Ivy was my defensive coordinator and Coach Quisenberry was my head coach. And then I had a principal at my high school named Mr. Ron Leach. And I'm so grateful for their impact in my life. These guys saw me. They knew me well enough to know if I was starting to get off track, they would grab a hold of me. I believe with all my heart that God gave me those men in my life during that season as guardrails in my life to help keep me from running my life off the edge of the cliff. Coaches, principals, teachers, look at me just for a moment. Like you have an incredible platform 
Like you have the opportunity to impact these athletes and these students' lives unlike anybody else. And so if I could challenge you with anything today is have your head up and your eyes open. Look for those players, look for those students that you see they might be drifting towards the wrong crowd and the wrong people. They might be getting into things they shouldn't be getting into. My principal loved me enough to call me into the office in 10th grade and he said, sit your butt down, boy. And I sat down. And he said, was that you that I saw at the intersection at 2.30 in the morning on Friday night? And of course, like all 16-year-olds, I played really dumb. Huh? What are you talking about? And he goes, don't lie to me. I said, yes, sir, it was. And he looked me in the eye and he said this, you need to find some new friends. Those guys are headed nowhere fast. And you have a lot of potential, but if you continue to run around with them, you're gonna end up right where they are. I love you too much to let you go down that path. Find some new friends or I'll find them for you. That's what he told me. So I am grateful for my coaches. I'm grateful for the influence and the impact in my life. I'm grateful for a principal that took the time out of his day to call a little heathen like me into his office and say, I love you too much to let you go down that path. As high school went on, I just continued to run after the things that the world tells you you should run after. I kept pursuing and running after uh, popularity and achievements and accomplishments and all of these things. And it's not that these things are bad or wrong, but I was also running after a lot of the wrong things. I continued to spiral and fall deeper and deeper into drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality, all of these sick and twisted things that the world says, this will really make you happy. This will really complete you. Only to find myself more empty and more broken than before I began. My high school coach my senior year said, don't you wanna go to college? No one in my family had ever been to college. And I said, that, that would be incredible. I would love to go play college football. And he said, have you taken the SAT? And I said, what's that? Shows you how smart I was, right? I said, no, sir. And he said, fill this out. Go take the practice test. Sign up to take the exam. You need to take the SAT so you can go to college. He started helping me make highlight films and send them off to universities so that I hopefully could get recruited and get a scholarship. My senior year, I lost my grandfather and he was one of the main godly influences in my life, and one of the few. I can remember during football season when I got the call and, he, and I lost him suddenly. I remember being so angry I remember shaking my fist at God at a God that I wasn't even following and saying how could you how dare you take this person from me I ended up getting a college scholarship Ended up going to play football and run track at Texas State University down in San Marcos. And I wish I could sit here and tell you today that when I got there that everything worked itself out and that I became a Christian the very first year and God radically turned my life around, but that was 
the complete opposite. I continued to pursue all of these things, athletics, sports, all of these idols in my life. My identity was wrapped up in all of these things and what I did. I continued to drink and take drugs on the weekends. I was caught up in that scene in Austin, Texas as a bartender. And I know some of you are looking at me going, one of our pastors was a bartender in Austin, Texas. And yes, I was. My life was filled with nothing but noise. Lots of distractions. I was so full of pride, so full of myself. I finally got to the end. And I just remember all along from the outside, when you looked at my life, from the outside, the culture and the world would have said, man, you've got it all. Like you've got a scholarship, you're, you're, you've got a conference championship, you've got a division championship, you've got all these things that you've been running after, all these things that the world says is what you should achieve and what you should strive after. You've got a college education, you've got your degree, you just graduated, you landed your first job. You should be on top of the world, you should be on the moon. And that was not where I was at. It was that semester that I graduated college that for the very first time in my life, I started to feel something I'd never felt. Anxiety, depression, fear, crippling fear would creep into my heart and into my soul. If I'm being honest, I despised who I saw when I looked in the mirror. I didn't even recognize who I'd become. I had no peace, no joy, no rest. I felt like no matter what I did, no matter what I accomplished, it was never enough. I didn't know who I was. It was in this season that for the first time, the, in, the, the voice of the enemy was so loud in my ear that I thought I was losing my mind and going crazy. I felt like I was broken beyond repair and there was no hope for someone like me. <laughs> On several occasions, I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning and my heart would be racing, beating out of my chest, profusely sweating, not knowing what was going on, fear, anxiousness, depression, and hearing the lies of the enemy so loud in my ear. This was the very first moment in my life that I ever can ever remember suicidal thoughts creeping into my life going, nobody, nobody cares about you. Nobody would miss you if you were gone. 
You should just end it all and do us all a favor. I would hear this voice in the middle of the night and I thought I was going crazy. I thought if I tell my roommate, Mike, he's going to have me checked into a psych ward. So I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't know where to go. I would just lay there completely overwhelmed feeling nothing but emptiness and hopelessness. I would usually medicate myself to be able to drift off to sleep and I would get up and I would drown out the noise the next day and I would go about my business and no one knew about it. Fast forward a few months later, same situation, same time, 3.30 in the morning. I wake up and my heart's racing. I'm overwhelmed by fear and anxiety. I'm hearing the voice louder than I've ever heard it before. And this night was different because out of the blue, all of a sudden I heard another voice come in and it was small, and it was quiet. But as the enemy whispered, there's no hope. You're broken beyond repair. Even if there is a God, he couldn't love someone like you. Even if there is a God, he would never save you. You're too far gone. In the, in the middle of that moment, I heard another voice creep in that said, that's not true. That's not true. There is hope. And he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And my ears perked up, and I thought, what, what is happening? What is going on? And out of nowhere, Bible verses that I had heard when the Stouts took me to church in the eighth grade started jumping into my mind and jumping into my heart. All of a sudden, I began to hear things like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I heard another verse that said, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. This was the voice of the Holy Spirit jumping into my life, speaking truth into my life. And in that moment, I was so broken, so empty, so desperate that all I did in that moment is I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you are real and if those verses are true, and if you can really save someone like me, then God, I'm desperate. Would you please save me? And the moment I said, would you save me, peace came over me like I can't describe. It felt like the world was lifted off of my shoulders. It felt like I could finally breathe. And I remember I took a deep breath and I let it out and I finally fell asleep, real sleep for the first time. I woke up the next morning. I didn't have a church like New Beginnings. I didn't even know but maybe one or two Christians. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. I didn't, I didn't have any idea what I was supposed to do with all this. So I just tried to go about my everyday normal life as usual. 
And I wasn't sure what, what even really, had, I didn't have language. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I, I didn't go to church. I didn't even have language to put to this thing that just happened at 3.30 in the morning in my apartment. But I knew something was different because over the next several months, I would try to go on as usual. I would try to go do the things that I used to do and I would get into those situations and those places and the Holy Spirit that was now living inside of me would make me so uncomfortable in those environments that I would look at my friends and go, man, I, I gotta go. And I remember my roommate looking at me going, man, what's wrong with you? Like, what happened to you? You're not even the same person. Like, you're, you're being weird, dude. Like, you're not even the same person. Can you just chill and relax and have a drink? Can you just do what we always do and just be who you used to be? And I remember looking at him saying, man, I can't. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not who I was. I know you don't understand, but there's something different. And I would just leave. I went from being a college graduate that hated to read to now all of a sudden picking up the Bible and, and desiring to read God's word. And, and it was strange to me. That's how I really knew something was happening because I was turning ESPN off and just wanting to spend hours in God's word I remember reading Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life in 2002 in about a day and a half. And I remember when I read that book and connected it with scripture, I went, that is what happened to me six months ago. When I said, God, would you save me? He actually did it. And I was ne I've never been the same since. Let me ask you, what about you? Can you remember? Close your eyes again for just a moment. Can you remember where you were when you heard him call your name? Some of you can't remember that's not a past memory, it's your current reality. Sure, by all appearances from the outside, everything looks normal. You've gotten really good at playing the game just like I had. By the world's standards, you're a success. You've got everything, the American dream, if you will. But on the inside, you're still broken. You're still hopeless. You still are looking at your life and saying, when will I finally accomplish enough? When will I finally be enough? See, the reality is you're still a slave to sin. You're still far from God. You're still separated from Christ. Let me answer that question for you. You'll never be enough. You'll never accomplish enough. 
You'll never do enough. But here's the good news today is you don't have to. Christ is enough. He's already done it all for you. All you have to do is accept it. If you're here today, can't remember and I want you to know something it doesn't have to stay that way you don't have to believe the lies of the enemy anymore today could be the day of your salvation today could be the day that you look back on five five months from now five years from now 20 years from now you could look back on today as you remember and you share your story with your kids and your grandkids and you could say August 6th 2023 was the day that everything changed for me. 2023, August 6th was the day that I was far from God, but in that moment, I finally asked him to forgive me and to save me and to to be the Lord of my life, and he did. He put his spirit in me. He made me brand new. Today could be the day that you write it on that post-it note and you say, don't forget to remember that this was the day that God radically saved me. If that's you, let me ask you this. What are you waiting for? Like, aren't you desperate? Like, aren't you sick and tired of living your life the way you've been living it? Aren't you sick and tired of feeling lost and hopeless at the end of the day? Aren't you sick and tired of believing and listening to the lies of the enemy? Aren't you ready for a new life? If you are, listen, you don't need me. All you've got to do in a moment when we pray is you've just got to cry out to God like I did. And you've got to say, God, I'm, I'm desperate. I need you. I need you to save me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, God, would you do what only you can do in this place? Father, if there's anyone in this room that can't remember that's never to enter into a relationship with you. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Would you do what you did for me in that apartment in San Marcos, Texas at 3.30 in the morning? God, would you, would you remove the scales from their eyes? Would you remove their heart of stone and give them a new heart? God, would you make them brand new? You're the only one that can do this. So we ask that you would do it. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.